0: Happy Wednesday, everybody! It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you live right after the onset of rookie mini camps and a lot of other things. Surprisingly, to kind of talk about, unfortunately, injuries are a part of football, but we get to talk about a little bit of the optimistic side of some injuries. So we get we'll talk about that. We've got a few things to catch all of you up on on this episode. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined as usual by my partner in crime well, partners in crime, I guess, Randall and John. Randall's really decked out back there, as usual. John, how you doing, buddy? You, you, you having a good week? I am having a good week. Randall's having a good week, too. He's got two shout-outs on the last
1: two shows have been on, which is <laughs> it's really boosting his self-confidence. He definitely needs it, considering he's dead. But it's a, it's a good day. It's a good night. Like, the, like, just before the show, we got news that the Texans have reunited Ryan Finley with Jeff Driscoll. The Texans oh, are bringing the whole wow. Bengals back up quarterbacks.
0: Wow, <laughs> I didn't room. catch that one. Oh, my gosh. That's wow. a good night. Ooh. Wow. Wow. That, uh, that, that quarterback situation there on a number of different fronts is messy, messy, messy. I didn't catch that one. That's, uh, that's a good one. Uh, well, I, we're, we're going to talk and catch you up on some news, as I mentioned. I'm wearing my Munoz shirt because we've got some offensive line talk to talk about tonight as well as some recoveries of some Bengals players who were injured last year. And it's, it's actually kind of been some good news, even though it's kind of a slower part of the cycle. Uh, it, there's been some good news for the Bengals, I, I guess as good as can be expected at this point in time. But one thing, and I, I would like for you to catch us up on this, if you would, John, uh, there, based on some mini camp stuff, obviously there's a lot of chatter about OTAs, mandatory, all that kind of stuff. There's some talk about Bengals veterans coming to, to OTAs. And if you wouldn't mind, catch us up on that.
1: Right. So I think around April, there were a handful of teams that eventually grew to, I think, a dozen teams or so that wrote letters in association with the NFLPA, the Players Association, about saying, hey, I mean, until we get some clarity about what the soft is going to be in terms of the coronavirus, you know, we're not really comfortable doing a lot of in-person work. And the Bengals never really – I don't think they released a statement like that. So there was some, I guess, pause, if you will, about what their offseason program is going to look like in terms of in-person work and how many Mm -hmm. veterans are going to attend because it's not mandatory yet. The mandatory minicamp, I believe, is in mid-June. But there was an article on Bengals.com that said that Jesse Bates, who is now the Bengals Bengals representative for the NFLPA now that Geno Atkins is, is gone, um, he essentially led like the, the whole conversation about, you know, whether or not the veterans and the players are going to participate. And it seems like there's going to be like a normal amount or maybe even close to the entire team that's going to participate in the volunteer mini camps. We had a quote from Bates. This is a courtesy of Jeff Hobson in the Bengals He said, quote, getting everybody's opinion from our team was good. There wasn't much disagreement or anything like that. I think it was just smart for us to come in for three weeks before minicamp. For us, we can't just go in off virtual meetings and have a productive mini camp, just getting around each other and being able to talk to people in person. I feel like that plays a huge part in, in communication for a defense. I'm excited. So that is the big difference between this year and last year. Last year, obviously everything was virtual. It was still early in the pandemic and then they all kind of met up for training camp and that's where all the in-person work began. So, they are gaining a head start compared to last year, but this is more or less what it used to be, right, before we lived in a COVID world. So this is, I guess, the Bengals taking that initiative to, I guess, kind of come together and, and kind of unite under, um, the, I believe this is Phase 2 or maybe the start of Phase 3 of the offseason program.
0: Well, it's, it's great to see Jesse Bates kind of taking a leadership role on a number of different fronts, and hopefully that's indicative of him getting a long-term extension and, and continuing to stick with the Bengals. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, the, the players and everybody are invested in doing things the the right way, uh, the safe way, as safe as possible, but also they want to uh, get their work in. They want to get their work in. They want to get the communication down and they're taking this year seriously. I think there are now a couple of these guys that are in year four, year three, you know, maybe even some of these free agents of the last couple of of years that the Bengals have brought in that are kind of feeling a little bit of urgency and they, they hope that the corner is going to be turned, so to speak in terms of the talent and everything that they've been trying to achieve. So, you know, I, it, like I said, it's, it's refreshing to see Jesse Bates after such a great season and and preceding seasons as well, but really took the next step in his career last year, but it's great to see him kind of take a leadership role on this, at least that's that's where I'm sitting on it.
1: Right. And it's not always been the case that the Bengals star players, their best players, have always been vocal leaders or in leadership roles in that sense where you kind of hear it outside of just the locker room, right? I didn't even know that Gino Atkins was the representative for the Bengals on the players' association side because I mean Gino never spoke, right? <laughs> so this him. Um, yeah. I think I think everybody's more talkative than Geno in comparison, but I think it, it's nice to see Bates, a young guy, still I think only twenty-four years old. We just ascended to like you said, an all pro level at his position. And now he's, you know, been chosen by his peers to represent them on the players association side. And I mean that's that's what he needs to be, right? He's the free safety. He's the best player on that side of the ball. And he's hoping to get paid like it. So that, that's another thing, right? He has been deemed this leader. And he very well could be a captain this upcoming season. And I'm assuming he's in contract negotiations. So I mean if you're looking on that side of things, I would see this as an absolute positive from that.
0: this is kind of these next couple of months and into early parts of September when training camps and, and you know, the guys are back and practicing and whatnot. That's usually the time that the Bengals, you know, as, as some of these guys are a year away, maybe even sometimes two years away from free hitting free agency, the Bengals try and lock up who they deem their core guys. They did it with Tyler Boyd in the past. They did it with Atkins and Dunlap. They did it with perfect a long time. They just, they like to do that. They like to do that. And, I I would expect that Bates is the next guy on their on their roster and and maybe why they they didn't go after some of these the, the Joe Toonies of the world because they want to lock up some some players, at least in part, why they didn't go after some of those guys to, to free up some money for long-term extensions for guys like Bates. Moving on, just kind of on some news front, a lot of people probably are aware of this at this point in time. I think when I took the air for the water cooler chat on Monday, I think we were at uh, six or seven Bengals rookies that had been signed. But now we are upwards of eight. Jackson Carmen signed his rookie contract. The only Bengals left to rookies to, to need to be signed here is Jamar Chase and Joseph Osai. A lot faster this year, John, than last year. I think obviously the pandemic had a had a hand in that, but uh, just you know, it's good to see that this team is getting these rookies under contract pretty quickly as opposed to how it played out last year.
1: It's always such a weird topic. Like these contracts are just like the the numbers are already predetermined based off of your draft slot. And it becomes like news when they they sign, even though it's (laughs) like, it's just predetermined unless there's a Joey Bosa situation. Maybe there's another one in recent memory, but I always think of the Bosa um, type of conflict that he like almost held out for the start of the season because there was language in, in his rookie contract was like offsets of guaranteed money and it, it lasted throughout the entirety of the offseason. Um, but yeah, like everything, like we, we know how much these players are going to get paid based off where they got drafted. It's just a formality at that point. So I guess, yeah, you know, 80% of the class before the, the month of June. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing to, I guess, be mad about because, I mean, these guys are going to get signed, right? It wasn't right. wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when.
0: I am old enough to remember when it was an annual Bengals tradition that their first-round pick would be a long-time holdout when there was no rookie wage scale in place, and so many of these promising players would have their rookie seasons either lost, uh, greatly interrupted, lost time, were behind in the playbooks because they weren't practicing with the team throughout training camp. I am old enough to remember all of that and how these high picks that they would have almost every year – there would be a contract holdout. Well, that is such a relief with new CBAs, at least from a fan standpoint, that that is no longer needing to be really a worry. You mentioned the one outlier with Bosa there, but I mean, for the most part, these guys know what they're going to make. It's slotted, and you know, it's there's there's some language to be worked out, but for the most part, I mean, it's it's pretty cut and dry. And for you know, for a guy like Jamar Chase, especially taking year, you know, there's there's two kind of sides to it. Taking last year off from football getting as much work in as possible is is a good thing, but he also has that built-in rapport that we talked about all spring with Joe Burrow. So, you know, if there was to be missed time, I guess he'd have a little bit of an upper hand over some other rookies that would be in his position. But overall, I think, I mean, I I would assume the other two are coming pretty soon here. Um, But at least that's my impression based on the fact they've got eight sign. Right. Like, I mean,
1: I I don't foresee Chase – entering a whole situation. I know last year, I think Burrow, it took until late July for him to sign his deal. And he was obviously the first pick. It was the largest rookie contract of last year. I mean, Chase is going to get not that, but it's going to be higher than 250 other picks. It's going to be all guaranteed. I think it's going to be right at 30 million for the total money. And sure. Like there could be some time where they negotiate, you know, how, how, and when like the money gets deposited and, and paid and stuff like that. But I mean, j- I think it was telling when I believe it was Mike Potts, the director of scouting. He said something about Jamar and his relationship with Joe, and it's that Jamar doesn't he feels like he won't want to let Joe down. And I feel (laughs) like in this offseason where Joe is coming back from injury, he's trying to get as many reps as possible. He's not going to let a foregone conclusion of a contract negotiation to get in the way of building up that rapport and getting it back to 2019 levels. It's not, it's nothing to really worry about. And maybe, maybe, maybe no one's worrying about it and we're just talking about it. But like, <laughs> if you are, if you are, if you're hanging on some type of a cliff, don't bother. It's, it's, it's fine.
0: Yeah. Moot point. Moot point. What is not a moot point is, in some of these injuries that the Bengals suffered last year. And they've, they've got some major ones that they're working on really mostly on the offensive side of the ball. There were some big ones on the defensive side of the ball, obviously Trey Wayne's DJ reader last year Two of their big free agent acquisitions. They're coming back from injury. Um, I, I guess if there is a fortunate situation with both of those guys, those were very early on in the process. Whereas on offense, John, the Bengals lost Joe Burrow a little over midway in the year. You've got C.J. Uzama. He was early, but you know he kind of was off to a little bit of a promising start with with the Bengals last year and with Joe Burrow. And then, of course, you have uh, Trey Hopkins, the center, who injured himself very late in the season and is, is rehabbing. Well, uh, among other news that we will talk about, one of these – players shared a positive update on their rehab. This is from CJ Uzama's Twitter account. Uh, hit the field for some routes today. Can't tell you how good that felt. There was also a, a subsequent, subsequent tweet from, uh, I believe it was Kyle Smith within the Right Way Sports Network, part of Malik Wright's uh, company there, kind of, you know, threw out something that it was with Joe Burrow. We don't have that verified at this point in time. But C.J. is out there, John, running some routes after after a significant injury last year. The Bengals did not really invest very heavily in the tight end position, made a couple of, of moves with Thaddeus Moss and whatnot, but nothing in the draft, no splashes in free agency. So it looks to be C.J.'s, CJ's job, at, at least at this point. The Bengals, it would seem, are confident in his rehab. I mean, they had a
1: reason to release CJ this offseason. They have an, inv- an investment in Drew sample that they would like to get a nice return on on that investment, and they brought in Thaddeus Moss, who has a relationship with Burrow, obviously. So there was an avenue for that transaction to happen, but it didn't because they still value Zoma in, the, in that light, and I think you're right. Like, There's no indication that he is getting demoted in any sense, even if he's recovering back from his injury. As long as he's 100%, he is the number one tight end in this offseason. And we don't know that it was Burrow, and that's by design because they're not going to tell us that it was Burrow mm-hmm. that he's throwing in, in minicamp and OTAs right now. It, right. Again, as much under wraps as possible, they're going to keep it that way. But good scoop from the Right Way Sports Network and those guys.
0: Yeah, and uh, funny, I don't, I don't know if people can see it, but... From our for, it looks like it's from our buddy Dalton uh, Richard Dalton at Dalton signature who is the architect of our of our awesome logos that we that we are sporting these days he's got a funny little uh, gif down there of uh, from from old school kind of celebrating about CG Osama coming back gotta like that well that's the only injury that we have to report on right no 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 we got one more but before we do we got to remind folks about our great Great partnership with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, where you can trade sports teams like stocks, earn cash when your teams win. S-I-M-B-U-L-L, Symbol is the stock market for sports. The website, dot app slash O-B-I. John, you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I couldn't really say any better if I wanted to, but let me try (laughs) it. Symbol is the stock market for sports,
0: and you can trade sports teams
1: just like stocks. Every t- every team in the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, they have a symbol price attached to them. It's, it's as simple as that. If you feel like they're on the ups and ups and they're going to get better and you want to profit off that, you invest that you invest at that price just like any stock market works. That's just how it works. You guys know which teams are good. You guys know which teams are bad. Why not leverage that knowledge and make a profit off of it? And how can you join the 2,000 plus early adopters who have already started to invest in their favorite teams? You visit www.com. S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app backslash OBI because we want you to, to enter the promo code OBI so you can get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up. Use that $10 deposit bonus to invest in the Sim Bangles or any other professional team that you want. The stock price for Sim Bangles is still above 60 bucks. It is not taking that dip that it usually does after our weekly show. So still a lot of action in the Sim Bangles. I'm telling you, like I'm looking at I'm looking at the prices right now. You see a lot of teams in the 30s and the 40s. If you're not ready to play with the big boys just yet, you can start small with those prices. And then once you're ready to feel more confident, invest in the Sim us Even get that price up. It's going up. It's, it's continuing to go up. It has no signs of slowing down at this point. Maybe it stays that way forever. Maybe they're the most expensive team on the symbol market. But that's all because of you guys. Because you guys, you generate the market. You move the market with your own investments. There's no other... There's no other mechanism that's meddling with it. It's you guys. It's the user's activity. And it's as simple as that. www.simbull.app backslash OBI. Get that $10 deposit
0: bonus. Awesome stuff. If you are a fantasy football aficionado, if you play the actual stock market, this should be right up your alley. Or maybe you're one of those folks out there that's investing in some of the... Bitcoin, Dogecoin, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you are an investor, whatever, this is kind of a cool way to merge investing and sports. So check it out. Again, OBI is the promo code. You get $10 deposit bonus. Also, want to remind everybody that in case you're new around these parts, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, along with. Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, as well as Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. All of our content is on your favorite audio streamers from iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. Go check it out. We also have uh, many of you are tuning into our YouTube channel, so please subscribe to that. We keep gaining subscribers. Absolutely stoked on that. And uh, that's where we stream live along uh, along with Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, so you got to like that page. You got to also follow us on Twitter at Bangles OBI or at Cincy Jungle. If you would rather check us out live on one of those platforms, please do so. Uh, we love we love the live platform, but if you can't join us live, be sure to download. Hey, do both. Join us live and then download it afterward. Why not? Why the heck not, right? Well, let's go to the big news, I guess, that dropped this weekend, maybe in part as to why the, the symbol price for the Bengals kind of keeps staying where it's at. There's There was some good news, John, about the team's franchise quarterback, where he is at in the rehabilitation process. And I am going to share this. This is from ESPN.com. Adam Schefter, Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow on track to return for week one. Dr. Neil Elitrach says... By the way, we'll talk about this video that you, if you're watching the the video portion of our show, we'll talk about the, the video with uh, Mina Kimes there a little bit as well. But Dr. Elitrach says, quote, he's on track for full go for start of the season. He's doing all the work. He's worked his tail off and and been an amazingly mature participant in his recovery. He's focused and great to work with. I think there was another quote down here. Uh, We are very happy with his recovery to say the least. Elitrach said, notwithstanding the nature of his injury and extent of his reconstruction, his knee is performing perfectly. We just had him tested out here with a high tech video and biomechanical evaluation. And he was ahead of where we anticipated and well into the return to performance phase of his recovery. With him already performing this way, it's all systems go for the start of the season. So, John, good news there. We'll talk about the flip side to this, but some very welcome news. I, I mean, I guess it was a little predictable. We, we kind of kept hearing, well, I mean, uh, you never really hear too many bad injury rehab updates at the professional level, but you know, I guess this is another confirmation in a step of a lot of confirmations that we're going to see Joe Burrow week one, maybe even a little bit before that, if if all things go well. Well, you don't hear
1: about bad recovery stories from right. professional athletes because they're professional athletes and they're getting the best possible care. You talk to Joe the bum down the street about hip, him recovering from an ACL and he'd be like, oh, yeah, I was on the men for 12 months. You don't have the body of a professional athlete. And you didn't have the professional care, probably the professional athletes to do. Ella Trash worked with Tom Brady in the past, Ben Roethlisberger. Like the guy is right next to, God, who's the other guy? James Andrews, who did mm-hmm. a lot of ortho- orthoscopic yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, he's S he's tier in terms of what these guys do. So he was always going to get the best care. And Burrow was always going to put in the work required to come back because that's just what we knew about him. It was only a slight variable. If something very rare in the process and the rehab process happened where he would take a minor step back, but it was never going to be on him and it was probably never going to be on the actual surgeon messing up this. So is it expected? Sure. But that's just kind of how it goes when you're dealing with a franchise quarterback coming back from this injury, he was always going to get the best care and knowing what we know about Burrow, he was always going to be 110% doing the right things with it.
0: Well I think part of uh, to your point and and to Dr. Elitrace's point is really the mindset of Joe Burrow and one of the things that we all loved about him coming to the Bengals was that chip on the shoulder, the work ethic, the it's it's never good enough type of thing. It sounds like he is using all of that towards his rehab and it's paying off in spades and that you know he's well ahead of the game here at least per his, per his surgeon. So, you know, you have to, you have to just kind of marvel at the personality and the mindset of Joe Burrow based on what we're hearing here and, and how he's attacked this rehab. Uh, I I don't know if you have any other thoughts on Burrow's injury and his rehab per se, John, but I think where, where we got to kind of go now, unfortunately, is a lot of the, national media talking heads and this news comes out and immediately you're starting to hear a lot of people say, well, it's just going to happen again, or he's going to run for his life, right? The Bengals didn't do enough on the offensive line. And the main thing they point to was that number five pick, where they went with Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell at number five. And that's their big point of contention. Now I, I, there's points of merit to that, there's counter arguments to it, but I think that's unfortunately now the narrative that's being pushed out there on a, on a national level from many outlets.
1: It's, it goes back to the point of Sewell himself would not be able to protect Burrow from getting injured again. It's a false equivalency or whatever you, however you want to phrase it like that. But when you're in the middle of May and you see news about Joe Burrow, the first thing that you automatically think of from a national perspective is, what about his offensive line? So the Bengals had a plan to address the offensive line and to create some turnover on that position group to get out some of the bad eggs and replace them with at least average eggs to get at least an (laughs) average group, which was objectively better than it was last year. That's the plan. The plan is in the process of unfolding before us, but we're not going to see the fruits of that labor until they start playing. And I think they talked about, you know, how early in the season they played the Vikings with Danielle Hunter. They played the Bears with Khalil Mack. They played the Steelers with TJ Watt. We're going to find out very quickly if that investment in Riley Reef was worth it compared to investing the fifth overall pick in Panay Sewell or I guess the second round pick in in Tevin Jenkins if you're still on that ledge. So there is a plan if you look hard enough, but there is going to be essentially I need to see it to believe it to make sure that this is working because I think a lot of them, you know, even if they didn't know a lot about Burroughs recovery, they still knew that once he was going to be healthy and he's going to be back, he's going to do what he needs to do, right? It's all, it all comes down to the offensive line and it's a lot easier to sell the plan of improvement. When you make that investment with the fifth overall pick, if you're covering all 32 other teams and you don't do a specific focused deep dive into what the Bengals did. So there's a plan and that should be advertised and should be out there but it's not going to be deemed a good plan until we see it become an actual good plan with the results.
0: So I'll start, I guess, with, and this this can kind of be a little bit, I don't know if I should cue up the little graphic, but I guess this this could kind of be our little state your case, talking about what the national media has been saying about Joe Burrow's return instead of, hey, I mean, some, some to their credit, Peter Schrager and, and a lot of the Good Morning Football Crew have kind of been saying, hey, he's going to come back and he's going to light things up, especially if he's healthy. But you know, I mean, the, really, the the major talking point, at least that I've seen, has kind of been on the negative side. Unfortunately, that has been, you know, this this is prone to happen again because the Bengals didn't make heavy investments on the offensive line. Well, I'll say this: they didn't they didn't get the big name guys, the biggest name guys, in either free agency or the draft, right? I mean, uh, just and, and the biggest name guys doesn't always mean the most successful guys, but I think there were a lot of names that were attached to the Bengals. Everybody was certain they were going to get Joe Tooney. They didn't. Everybody was certain they were going to get Panay Sewell. They didn't. So, you know, I, I guess from an outsider perspective, who d- maybe folks that do not cover the Bengals on a day-to-day basis, see that and go, well, what are they doing? They're just kind of doing the bare minimum to to restock the offensive line. The one thing I will say that kind of plays into their argument a little bit is what the Bengals have done basically from 20, 2018 to 2020, where a lot of us, myself included, I know you as well, John, have been banging the table for the Bengals to get more high-end offensive line talent. And they kept telling us, we like the offensive line much better than the rest of you do. And you, you on the outside, seeing the players that we have are dummies, we can develop these guys. And unfortunately, it has yielded, overall pretty poor results. There was a stretch in 2018 where they were running the ball very well with Jeff Driscoll, a quarterback. Joe Mixon had, had a great end of the season, but that's really the only mark I can think of that was really, that showed pretty solid offensive line play. Since that point, it's been a lot of blah, and that's being kind, I think. So just starting with trying to understand the national media narrative on the offensive line with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's one point that I sit and I go, okay, well, I, I see it. I see that part at least.
1: Yeah, I, I see on the surface, I think you just said it pretty well, like the bare minimum, and I think there's still some people in the fan base that would say that qualifies as to what they did. I think when we talked about this in the offseason, it was like if there's ever going to be – a year where they make significant investments in this position group, it has to be this year, right? There's no mm-hmm. other better opportunity to do that. And I think if you had read, if you, if anyone had read what you know members of the team had said and team personnel had said, they were leaning towards the, like they were looking at some names that they were looking to make some offers and push for, and they never even got to the market. I think had Darrell Williams and Taylor Moden ended up becoming available, I think they would have pushed for them harder then they then they even pushed for Joe Tooney. Like there could have been some possibilities it had some other players become available. But that's that's the thing, right? Like offensive linemen, like they, there's not a surplus of them. There's not a surplus of good offensive linemen, I should say. Mm-hmm. And teams yeah. do whatever they can to retain their best offensive linemen. It might be a sore subject when you think back at Andrew Wilworth and Kevin Zeiler. But like <laughs> it was always going to be difficult if some of the big names did not get out on the market. And then once the market opened. Like you saw most of the quality names go to other teams, specifically the Chargers. You know, Toonie went to the Chiefs. And it was like, okay, well, they're, they're kind of screwed now, right? So I think a lot of fans wanted them to shoot for the stars and they more or less settled for the moon. But the moon is still in outer space. And previously they couldn't get the rocket off the launch pad in <laughs> 2019 and 2020. And now they have a much better space commander in Frank Pollock who's guiding the space shuttle, if you will. So there's progress, there's improvement, but again, until Burrow is out there and he's not hit 10 times a game, and Riley Reef proves to be the veteran that he's been, and Jackson Carmen is at least a decent rookie, it's going to be scrutinized whether you, we like it or not.
0: John Sheeran, the king of the metaphor, I love it. That was great. That was great, dude. I love the uh, the outer space. Yeah, that, that was that was that was spectacular. With and we didn't we didn't rehearse that, guys. That was just John. I love it. We don't rehearse we any of this stuff, by the way. <laughs> we, we really kind of don't. Yeah, we really kind of don't. We improv this bad boy. Look, uh, um, to to your point, the the Frank pollock thing plays into the the other side of the equation here. Um. There, there, there are some question marks uh, along the 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 line. Obviously, we talked about Hopkins. You know, he, rehab is supposedly going well for him, but he has been quietly one of the better offensive linemen this team has had. And we don't know if he's going to be able to go week one. We think so. The early indications were that things were pointing to that direction, but we will see. So, there's that Jonah Williams has some question marks just in, in the form of injuries himself. Uh, you, you potentially have a new left guard of some kind. We'll talk about that in a second, but lo- likely at this point, it could be Quentin Spain. Um, you know, they, they're there are a lot of moving parts, but that's kind of the point is that they made an effort to essentially field what looks like it's going to be three new offensive linemen um this year. Now, I want to share this. This is from Blake Jewell, who is part of the All Bengals team. We got to get this guy on the show too, John. We got to get Malik Rye, Blake Jewell, a lot, of, a lot of good people out there. Uh, Bla- Blake Jewell, Joe Burrow was sacked 32 times. Lashes the tweet he put out here. I, th- I thought this was great. The Bengals new starting five offensive linemen account for just five of those sacks. Add Frank Pollock to that as well. This is an improved offensive line. So there's that. And then, of course, the, the Frank Pollock effect if you will on on players you've already heard some players talk about like you know or, or Pollock himself actually say you know what they were taught last year was in a nice way he said was trash um so you know it's not it's not only a, a, a replacing and improving three spots along the offensive line even if it's marginal improvement it's also improving the coaching and technique aspect with Frank Pollock
1: right So coaching matters, new personnel matters, right? And that was, it it had to be both this offseason. It couldn't be all on Frank Pollock and you couldn't give Jim Turner, you know, brand new faces for him to ruin also. So in this offseason, you had a coaching change, you've had personnel change, but there could maybe, maybe still be more personnel changes to come. That's just what the offseason is. It's an ever evolving beast. And earlier this week, there was a report coming out of Washington. I'm sure a lot of our listeners in the live chat have referenced this already that the team had granted starting right tackle Morgan Moses the opportunity to seek a trade. Morgan Moses was a third-round pick in the 2014 NFL draft, and he's been Washington's starting right tackle for the better part of the last half decade. I believe at the beginning of the offseason, Brandon Scherf, who could have been another Bengals-targeted offensive line, he – mentioned that he wanted to return to Washington to play next to Morgan Moses, which indicated that it seemed like Moses wasn't really going anywhere, but I guess there's whatever type of dispute that they're having. They're allowing him to seek another opportunity elsewhere. And this is the interesting part, Anthony, because I look at what Morgan Moses has left on his contract and it screams Cordy Glenn to me, which was also the case with Rob Havenstein early in the offseason. He was a potential trade candidate for a cap struck Uh, Los Angeles Rams team, but they decided to hang on to him. But it made sense because both seen and now Moses, they have no guaranteed salary left in their deals. Moses has two years left in his contract. It's essentially a two-year, fifteen million dollar deal. He has, I think, about two million left of that prorated signing bonus that Washington would have to take on. But there is no hesitation in terms of that from the Bengals' part. They could take on his contract. They wouldn't be tied down with anything financially the roadblock in the situation would be they would have to sacrifice future draft capital, say maybe a fourth round pick. And if you're the Bengals, hopefully that's in the late fourth round, but it could be potentially a top 120 pick. So that's the aspect that the Bengals typically don't like to do, which is why I think we can both agree that it's probably not in the cards. But I guess the question is, despite what the Bengals have done at offensive line in terms of personality and coaching, are they now in a situation where they shouldn't be forced or feel pressured to trade for Morgan Moses, despite him being objectively an upgrade for the entire offensive line.
0: Right. Have they done enough, right? I mean, yeah. have they, have they done enough at this point in time is really the question. And me being the the resident fence rider on this show, I'll say, I don't know. I really don't know if they, I, there are a lot of things that tell me that, yes, they've done, they've done more than, than, you know, we they've done in the past and they've, they've had improvements. We talked about the Frank Pollock effect, the the question is how quickly we'll see that effect. The out of the gates, like you said, there are some pass rushers there right out of the gates. Daniel Hunter, Khalil Mack, TJ Watt. I mean, it's it's kind of a murderer's row there of of pass rushing tandems throughout those those teams that you know Riley Reeves going to get tested here uh, if he is indeed the right tackle he is a little bit up there in age he only allowed one sack last year if if memory serves correctly or was credited giving up only one sack last year so that's a big deal and and I'm confident in that he will be an improvement over Bobby Hart but you have questions at the guard spots you have questions about Trey Hopkins Trey Hopkins being back yeah he could be back but who knows where he is strength-wise, conditioning-wise, all of that. If he is to miss significant time throughout the summer and and into training camp, you know that that plays a part. And then if he can't go, you got Billy Price, who's been uh, an unfortunate disappointment. Will he rise to the occasion, even if he's a spot starter at some point? You know how effective can Quentin Spain be in a more natural position? There are there's still a lot of questions. But I think as you look at it on paper, yeah, there are improvements they have done an adequate job. I wouldn't say outstanding, but they have done an adequate job of, uh, you know, filling, filling needs and replacing kind of the weak links on the offensive line. The question for me, and I know we're going to share some data on Moses here, but the question for me is what do you do if you do sign him? Where does Riley Reef go? Where does Jonah Williams go? I mean, I I think you would say, okay, Moses is your right tackle. Riley Reef's played left tackle before Jonah Williams got the short, short arms. Everybody's saying, Hey, kick, kick reef into, to left guard and, and Jonah at left tackle. Would you switch that? I don't know. Um, so there's some de- decisions to be made there. If, if you make that acquisition, I don't think it's overly pressing, but it, I think it becomes that way. If there are some, some injuries throughout camp for sure.
1: Right. Like if this had happened right before the, the Denver Broncos situation, with Jawan James, I think they could have been interested because they had an emergency happen there. They, they lost their starting right tackle there. And I think they signed, I don't know it wasn't Charles Leno. It was like, it was a couple other guys. I think they, they just planned to platoon that, but all right. The Bengals aren't in a position where they absolutely have to add a starter, which would negate the pressure and the urgency to make this type of move. But I think you brought up the quintessential point here is that are they now too f- into whatever plan that they're implementing for the Mm offseason to make some type of a switch along the offensive line. We don't know exactly what their plan is with Jackson Carmen. We believe he's going to be the front-runner to start at right guard. We, we We believe there's going to be some type of a competition at left guard. If you trade for Moses, you're trading for him because you believe him to be good enough to be a starter. And as we can see on the screen here, we're sharing his pro football focus grades. I think Duke Tobin made a statement or he said in like a podcast this season that, you know, there are notable names out there, but not necessarily guys who could improve our team. I think we can all agree that Morgan Moses would improve most offensive lines that he were, if he were to go there, he's been a consistent steady player in both pass protection and run blocking for his entire career in Washington. He's lived up to that building. He's lived up to the contract. He's not coming in with the risk of him disappointing, even though he just turned 30 years old. So the Bengals, should recognize him as a decent player it's just the question of if you bring him in like what does that mean for your current iteration of the offensive line i think reef has stated that he'll play anywhere and i would imagine he would be open to moving inside the left guard but when you do that there's a situation with xavier suofilo is he does he become a cap casualty you brought back quinn spain on a prove it deal is he basically getting nixed out of the entire competition at guard how does that relationship work there's these variables that you don't really think about when you, you have this, you know, Madden train of thought where like I just put the best players in here and I boom, 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 boom. I have a great offensive line. It, it's a little bit more complex than that, which is why I don't think it's a slam dunk. Absolutely trade a fourth or fifth round pick for Morgan Moses, even though it would make the offensive line better. I think the timing of this, it's a little bit interesting. It's very similar to last year when. I believe Larry Warford was available to be signed and the Bengals had interest in in that, Mm -hmm. and it was still, that was after the draft. Now that that was after, you know, they were starting to implement their plan. It's up in the air. And I think that's another reason why we probably shouldn't expect this to happen on top of the draft capital sacrificial type of type deal, or just them sacrificing draft draft capital to make it work. But also I guess there is the salary cap equation too. Like they have 22, I believe million dollars left and. Uh, we assume that some of that, if not most of that, is going to go to Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates. Are they financially capable of taking on that money for their own budget? A lot of variables here that I think we all need to reconsider. This is not just a slam dunk, absolutely make the trade happen.
0: The the interesting thing to me, based on the graphic, and I know some some who listen afterwards don't don't they only do the audio, not the the visual here. So we'll explain it, but The interesting thing to me with with Moses and the PFF grades that we're displaying here is the seasons where he has had the most snaps, he's been the most successful and has had the highest grades. If you look, 2015, just over 1,100 total snaps, 663 pass uh, pass blocking snaps, 439 run blocking, overall score 76.1, which included a 72.6 pass block grade and a 78. Six point two run block grade. Gosh, my eyes are getting a little wonky. Uh, Twenty sixteen, a little over a thousand six hundred forty eight. Uh, thank you, John. I, I I hope I don't need glasses now that you <laughs> zoom that in for me. <laughs> uh, pass block six hundred forty eight pass blocks, uh, pass blocking snaps, and a uh, three hundred sixty nine run blocking snaps seventy six point eight. So basically, and then of course, last year, he had the most of his career, 1137, including 743 pass blocking snaps, uh, 394 run blocking snaps, and an uh, overall score 79.9 with 70.7 in the pass block and 84.7 in the run blocking. And in all of those snaps, six penalties, that's that's pretty impressive. So, I mean, there's a lot here to like, and you would sense improvement maybe maybe it's something they do there's been no i mean i know this is new relatively new news but um i i don't know maybe it's something they they check out but it would cause another reshuffling along the offensive line of some kind
1: exactly and i think if this was happening in march when there wasn't the darrell williamses and the taylor modens available on the market and riley reef became like their best option if morgan moses was available to be traded for in March. I think this becomes the legit option. It becomes a legit conversation. It's like, okay, that's a guy that has worked under Bill Callahan. He fits in the Frank Pollock type of scheme. He knows the language and, and that type of stuff for, for a wide zone scheme. He's coming off a really good year. He's affordable. There's no guaranteed money attached to him. If this ha- if this is a thing in March, I think it becomes a legit option now. Now, when they have Reef in there and they have bodies at guard that they feel somewhat comfortable with, It's still, it would be objectively a net positive addition, but it's not something that I think they should be pressed to make. And it it goes beyond just adding talent for the sake of adding talent. This is a starting player that's going to count a decent amount against your cap. It's going to affect how the rest of the offseason plays out for you. And I think as we've seen, they're not going to do everything that it takes to improve the offensive line, which is why you shouldn't expect this to happen in the first place. But also, I think they've done enough where they shouldn't be calling Washington 24-7 to make this happen.
0: Exactly, and I think that's kind of the the summary of my, my stance with this in terms of going back to the national media and what they are saying about the offensive line and the Bengals are still in dire straits and Joe Burrow is going to get killed once again this year. I, that's not going to be the case. Now would I would I be a lot more comfortable if there were some of the bigger names on there? Maybe even a move for Moses. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely be more comfortable with that. But you know, at, at this point, I don't I don't know that I see that happening, barring an injury. And they're going to roll with who they have and the coach that they have, and they feel that that's going to be the step that they need to take in order to be an effective offensive line. Well, I think if they are middle of the road and, and metrics and sacks allowed and all of that, I think Joe Burrow is going to be fine. Uh, and, and by fine, I mean he, he'll play at a very, very high level if they are in the top half of the league in terms of overall performance. If they are in the 20s again, close to 30s, that sort of thing – then it's going to be a disaster every year. But I would expect that the Bengals get in that top half of the league in terms of overall performance based on the moves they made, the coach they brought in. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that.
1: No, I don't, I don't disagree. It just requires most things to go right. And that's the, that's the nature of the offseason. When we talk about what this team can be, there's always got to be a caveat of, okay, we have to build in some of these contingencies about when, when, not if, some things go wrong. Like Jackson Carmen could take half a year to really get acclimated to the guard spot, and he becomes a, a potential weakness in between Trey Hopkins and Riley Reef. Riley Reef is projected to be still solid, but he is still 32, and we don't know whenever that drop off with him is going to happen. So on paper, it looks fine, and that was the whole conversation to you know take Jamar Chase over Sewell in, in that sense. But things still have to go right, right? And and if you're banking on I think Goodberry said it best on on Twitter. If you're banking on five coin flips to land on tails, you're setting yourself up for failure. I don't think it's necessarily five. I think you can count on Jonah and Trey to be stable, solid players like they have been. And they're set up better for success, for things to hit compared to, to the last two years. But there are still some things that they're expecting to work out, even though they're in better positions to handle it. There are still some, I guess, risks, or just I need to see it to believe it. You need to see it to make sure that it's not a weakness, even though it has the potential to be. Moses, I think, represents stability and just giving you another solid, stable starter. But there comes a cost with that, and it's more than just draft capital as well.
0: My my one thing with all of this, if they are going to stay with the status quo, not get Moses at this point in time, My my thing with it is, if God forbid, an injury to one of their more important players, one of the starters that they have penciled in on the offensive line occurs, and it's a long term injury, they they can't. I I don't think they can, especially if it's one of the you know the uber important ones on the offensive line here. I, I I don't think you can sit back and do nothing at that point. I mean, I know you you have some of these young guys that you're grooming for that kind of reason, an emergency situation, but um i would like to see them be proactive at least for competition purposes if if that scenario plays out but hopefully it does not i do see a comment here mike has any unsigned uh free agent still available a guard you guys like i mean i think there is still trey turner floating out there right um so i mean he would be one i guess if there is a guard issue I, that would be one but um overall i i think the market's pretty picked over you may see john the Bengals do some things um after you know after june one or obviously final cuts too that that could be uh part of the plan based on who's out there too
1: yeah i think they're still fifth on the waiver order until week three or whatever of the season so i mean last year they were first so they always had like the the they, they got the pick from the litter of their choosing but now they're still at, at the top of that order they still only have 84 players on the roster too like i uh, had had a fan DM me and saying, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like they're not where they usually are at this point in the offseason. They have six available roster spots open. And that's why you saw them kick the tires with Steven Nelson with DD Westbrook. You saw them bring in Trent Taylor. There are still guys on the offensive line that they were in previous contact with in the offseason. I believe Brett Jones and Nick Easton were the two that, that came up on, on the rumor mill. So there's possibilities that those guys, um, Get, get word with the Bengals and potentially make something happen. But there are still openings on this roster for them to fill out if they so desire, but they could just stick to 84, 85, kind of like they did last year when they had that limit.
0: Yep. But that's where they are at with the offensive line. That's where we're at with the offensive line. Some news obviously this week about that because of Joe Burrow returning from injury and the talking heads got to, got to going. And, uh, it wasn't, there were, there were some complimentary words about Burrow, and the Bengals being said out there, but, um, overall there was kind of the theme was, oh boy, that offensive line. And we may be having similar conversations in 22 was what, at least I think I, I kind of gathered out there, John, we're going to, we're going to get out of here. Let's drop the mic. We're, we're going a little shorter. You know, we got a little lighter show this week, but, uh, what do you have for us on our way out?
1: So there is a fun fan post that's on the front page of Cincy Jungle right now, and it is titled Bengals Fan Pessimism to Optimism, a How-To, and it's written by Drew Garrison, who you can find on Twitter, at Drew underscore LRT. And it was weird seeing his name write this article because he was, I believe, in close contact with someone close to Joe Tooney when that whole situation was going down, and he was saying some things about the Bengals. I don't want to misquote him here. I'll just paraphrase. I believe he mentioned something about the Bengals shouldn't be using, like, the phrase uh, New Day if they're going <laughs> to address the offensive line this haphazardly. So to see him go from that to the, this guy who who's encouraging fans, I guess, to take a more optimistic approach to the offseason, it's kind of refreshing to see. And definitely check that out. Definitely check out Drew. I believe he's a writer for Last Word on Sport, which is Last Word on Sports, which is also where uh, – clo- Close friend of the show, Willie Lutz, also does some Bengals contact content, so definitely check them out on Last Word on Sports, Last Word on NFL on Twitter. Uh, check that out on Cincy Jungle as well.
0: Yeah, Drew's a good guy. He uh, and, and he actually he DM'd me and was like, "Hey, I've got this thing. I, I it's, It doesn't work for where I'm writing at Last Word, but I think it'd be good for for Cincy Jungle." And I pointed him towards the fan post area, and I guess it, uh, you know, it was pretty impressive and I, I, I shouldn't say i guess it was pretty impressive and so it was good to see good to hear from him good to see his stuff up on on our site to go go give him a follow he's a good guy and he was he was the architect of hashtag toony watch you're right yeah you're right um i'm going to just give a shout out to jason von stein i don't think he's making too many friends in the live chat tonight um with some of his record predictions but he's got a a thing that he is helping us out. He's throwing uh, a cool event, an online event called uni watch next week on Wednesday. And John, I, if you're, if you want to be a part of it, please do. I'm, I'll, I'm going to stop in there and he's going to promote our show to some, you know, uh, some different, people through different walks of life on Facebook and whatnot. And he's also going to um I guess promote my my sister's charity too, which is which is pretty cool of him. And we he's been a longtime supporter of the show, longtime listener, and we appreciate that. And in that same vein, I have to say thank you once again to you, John, to many listeners, to many readers of Cincy Jungle for donating to the charity that we created in my sister's honor. Uh, We just gave out um we're going to announce them Thursday evening, but we did give out uh, thousands of dollars from charitable donations to worthy high school students looking to go to college. And um, we're gonna make those announcements. But I can't thank you enough, John. I can't thank all kinds of people from that, you know, I haven't physically met, but you know, I've connected with them through this podcast and through CincyJungle.com that have donated and made made cool things possible for some really, really neat kids. And we're excited about, you know, giving out some money based on how the last year plus has played out. And, you know, education's kind of been funky, but um, we, f- we found some very worthy people. And, and so thank you to all of you who donated. And um, even if you didn't, thank you for the moral support as well. Appreciate that. Wanted to make that announcement to everybody too.
1: Always good news to hear your foundation successful and everyone else out there who has a nonprofit, who has charitable um, workings going on over the past year. It's been a tough year, like you said, but I'm very happy that that that's still going on and very happy that her legacy is living on in a very positive way.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And to that point, too, we are going to try and we're we're, we John and I kind of kicked around the idea late last week. Um, of doing something for some of the Bengals players and their foundations, uh, many of which who have been on our show and whatnot. Uh, We're going to try and do something, maybe a little rally, uh, some trivia giveaways, all that kind of stuff where we can really make a sizable impact on their foundations as well through donations. So um, we're going to kind of vet that out and plan it out, especially in some of the the lull in the summer months. Maybe we'll we'll have some fun episodes with that and kind of make a, a little donation rally for all of that. And we would love all of your guys' support that too john it's been it's been real we we said it was going to be short it was a little shorter not not crazy short but uh appreciate it my man have a good rest of the week you was well man all right take it easy thanks everybody go to cincyjungle.com get all your news opinions analysis and podcasts there we'll see you next time